Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to episode seven of the Fabulously Keto podcast. Today we're back with Dr. Chris Barkley. We left him last week talking about diabetes and we had such a long chat with him that we've had to split it in two. So this week, Louise, do you want to tell them what this week is about? Yes, well, Dr. Chris reminds us about the role of carbohydrates and its impact on insulin. So he likes to, you know, refer to the Robert Lustig um, sugar, the bitter truth, where he says it's all about the insulin. Stupid. But, <laughs> um, yeah. So he reminds us again about how insulin is that fat storage hormone and that we really need to be mindful and thoughtful about the impact, particularly of those sneaky carbohydrates um, in fruit, on our insulin levels. And if we're wanting to lose weight, that we need to be thinking about um, about the impact on insulin. Yeah, absolutely. So you can read his bio this week. Dr. Chris was brought up in Ipswich. He qualified as a doctor at Sheffield University in 1978, which was a good year for him as he got married and Ipswich also won the FA Cup. He worked for two years in Sierra Leone before returning to Sheffield to start specialised training in obstetrics and gynaecology. He then later switched to general practice in 1989. Currently, Dr Chris is a GP and medical writer. His special interest in diet and health began with a chance encounter. A patient told him how he had lost weight by cutting out carbohydrate foods. Chris has researched the subject ever since. He was the principal investigator for the Isaiah Project, a diet trial in pre-diabetic patients. His conclusion, processed carbs, starchy foods and sugar are the problem. They are driving our diabetes epidemic. Dr. Chris has written a book, Beating Diabetes, The Low Carb Way, where he presents compelling and persuasive evidence and he has translated it into a practical and effective plan. Chris has written regularly for medical magazines, most recently The Practitioner. He is the lead writer for MAPS, a drug information website to help healthcare organisations such as hospital trusts to provide reliable, easy-to-read information on medicines that can be printed off for patients to take away. Again, he is involved in translational work. He worked for many years as a GP in Sheffield before moving back to Suffolk he worked most recently as a GP in Audubon. And if you haven't listened to episode six, then we recommend you go back, listen to that one, and then come back to this one because this is the tail end of that chat that we had with him. Yes, and his 
Beating Diabetes book. Um, it will be listed on the show notes as well. Yeah, great. Let's roll the tape. It's interesting you're sort of talking about the um, the fresh and seasonal foods, and as you're saying, our food supply now means that we get a lot of that all year round. So whether you go to Asda mm-hmm. or to Waitrose or to to M&S, you know, you can get strawberries and berries. And as you mentioned about the Paleolithic, you know, ancestors would have only eaten that for maybe what two or three weeks. You know, mm-hmm. anyone that has fruit trees in their garden will know that they will their fruit comes into season early. You know, you might have it for a, a green for a week, it might be ripe mm-hmm. for a week, and then it's overripe for a week, and then it's gone. So that's exactly. the thing about yeah. having having access to to local and fresh. It's in season for a very short short amount of time. But the fact that our food supply is, as you said, you know, processed novelly. You know, the Paleolithic ancestors didn't have oreos or penguins or um you know wheat biscuits yeah and uh there's sorts of foods you know if you think of fruit for example the sorts of fruits they would have had are not the ones we have today which are large juicy extremely sweet they would uh, i worked in west africa for a couple of years when i was younger and there were wild fruits there but they were nothing like the offerings that you get in our supermarkets today uh, where we've had centuries of crossbreeding and horticultural improvement and that sort of thing going on. Mm. And as you say, the the seasonality is gone now. The only seasonal differences that I see is in the price. If, if, I mean, if you want to have blueberries in January, they might be a little bit more expensive than they might have been in September, for example. But surely you can't be saying that fruit is bad for you. I mean, aren't we meant to be going for our two and five? We're meant to be having our five serves of, is it vegetables and two fruits or five fruits and two vegetables? Well, you've picked the numbers um, and there are all sorts of different sets of numbers out there. But the big message that gets through to most people is fruit is natural, fruit is good, it's packed with goodness. Whereas actually the truth is slightly different. Fruit doesn't, it, it, it's got a lot of sugar. That's why we eat it. It's sweet and lovely. Uh, I can think of no other reason to eat a piece of fruit than you want to enjoy it. And if, if I do eat fruit, which isn't that often, I will eat it as a whole piece of fruit. I won't smoothie it or pulp it or do all sorts of other processing type things because I want to enjoy the fruit rather than having a big sugar hit. I think for a lot of people, one of the problems is fruit juices. They don't realise that they're consuming the sugar equivalent of about four or five oranges with their breakfast, for example. Um, but the whole fruit story really goes back to uh, you know, the five-a-day thing. It goes back to uh, the 1990s. Um, and again, in California, where uh, I think the health promotion people wanted to make a difference and thought that was a good thing. And they got lots and lots of funding from the uh, fruit and vegetable growers of California itself. Well, that was a surprise, you know, if, if they could have it promoted as a health food. Uh, I'm thinking here of another great influence on me, Michael Poland, who says, never eat a food that makes a health claim. Now, there's lots of health claims about fruit, but I think it's just something that tastes nice. And you, But if you eat it, you're going to get a lot of sugar. And that's the problem. So if you have a bowl full of I don't know, mixed fruit, you might have some strawberries. They're quite good, actually. But apples, oranges, bits of pear, whatever, pineapple, especially the tropical fruits, mango. 
the sugar consequence and therefore the insulin consequence is massive. And so uh, I think if you're going to eat five a day, fine, but make sure four of them are vegetables mm-hmm. um, because that's where the minerals and most of the vitamins are. You might get a bit of vitamin C from fruit, but there's plenty in everything else. Some fruits might have a bit of potassium in them, but that's nothing compared to uh, vegetables and um, meat and fish and dairy. Mm. So uh, I'm, I think it's a scam, personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you see a lot of people will have their, their five fruit and veg will be five fruits. Mm-hmm. That's, they tend to eat a lot of fruit and not, and not the vegetables. Well, I'm sure you'll have seen, and, and many people listening to this might have seen Dr. David Unwin's sugar infographics uh, basically, he's, he's uh, worked out what the equivalent uh, a particular food might be in terms of teaspoons of sugar. And I, I can never remember more pants, so I always get his graphics out. But he showed up a, a pretty standard breakfast, which would be seen by many to be quite healthy, which is a fruit juice, half a banana, a couple of rounds of toast, and maybe a bit of cereal of some sort. And that's the equivalent of the best part of 20 teaspoons of sugar. Uh, and as you said earlier, our bloodstream only contains the equivalent of one teaspoon. So we have yeah. a tsunami of the stuff washing in as soon as we get up in the morning. And that then pushes your insulin up. So it starts to make fat because where else is it going to go? You've done nothing for the last eight hours. So you, your glycogen doesn't need much replenishing, although your insulin glycogen might do. But it, it, it's got to go somewhere. And the only thing the body can do to get this stuff out of the system quick is mm-hmm. to make it into fat. So carbs make you fat, unfortunately. It's not fat that makes you fat. But then if you then go on to having a croissant for your 11s and a sandwich at lunchtime and then some cake at four o'clock in the afternoon, come back for your pasta and then your after supper morsel of crackers, you know, you've just basically been cruising on sugar and insulin the whole day. But surely, with your with you're talking about fruit, but you know the dietitians or the other you know nutritionists would say, well, it comes with fiber, so it can't be just that complete sugar rush because obviously the fruit is a slow release sugar. So going back to your beginnings of your your hmm. GI, I, I think I'm I'm not a nutritional scientist here, uh, uh, certainly not a dietitian, but there is some fiber in fruit which is one of the reasons you should eat the fruit whole if, if and when you do eat it mm. because then you have that slight modulating effect on how quickly it hits you perhaps and if you smoothie it up it's just going to mainline straight into you that's true but this is where the, the nutritionist would sort of say about you know fruit is good for you because it comes with fiber like an orange yeah. is it actually has fiber so um it's not necessarily all fruit is bad no it's true that if you eat an orange, you will get some fibre and that might have an effect on how quickly you absorb the sugar from the orange, that nice, sweet, juicy fruit. If you have a fruit juice, you might be eating four oranges worth with very little fibre. But if you want fibre, if that's your thing, it's vegetables. It's not fruit. Fruit really, mm. uh, a phrase, this is a cheeky phrase I made up to describe fruit, uh, high fructose tree candy. It's, it's, it's a confection. In fact, people now describe breakfast that we eat today, with, which is you know, pretty sugary stuff, as more like dessert than a proper meal. So I think uh, when it comes to fruit, you've just got to say, we're eating sugar. That, that's, that's what we're getting from it. Um, and if, if you've got a sugar-driven problem, which is what type 2 diabetes is, remember we talked about cause, 
problem and effect. The cause is the, the, the amount of sugar and starches that we're eating that washes mm. the glucose into us. If you've got a problem like that, then fruit is an issue. But then, you know, the people, the sort of the, the critical people would say, well, that it's a natural sugar. So natural has this health claim, as you as you mentioned about Michael Pollan, that it's got to be good for you because it's it's natural. It's This is the, the thing that some people don't understand is that, mm-hmm. yes, it is natural and, yes, it has this health wash that's meant to be clean and pure. So a natural fruit sugar is still good for you. But in actual uh, fact, you're saying that it's still the cause yeah. is high sugar. It doesn't matter in what, what it comes in, in many of the 50 different other names that sugar mm-hmm. comes in, it's still the root cause. Yeah. It, it, it's natural in that it grows in the ground, but it, it's the sort of nature that's been sort of genetically modified in a soft way for hundreds if not thousands of years. And the reason we've got apples now that are just dripping in, in syrupy sugar is because those apples never existed normally in the wild. It's because they've been bred that way, selectively bred. So it's it's a modified nature. Actually, I take issue with the word nature being good. Nature you know, gets us all in the end. Nature has a lot of horrible things about it. We live in a hostile world and we're just another species in that. So I, I don't see the word natural as necessarily reassuring. But yes, fruit has got this spin about it, that it is a, um, a, a healthful thing to do. It, you know, it, if you go to a, a, say a meeting and there's a buffet, they'll put some fruit out for the health conscious. But actually, that's as sugary as all the beige offerings that are on the rest of the table. You know, I'm thinking yeah. sausage rolls and pies and open sandwiches and what have you. It's it, when it gets into your bloodstream, it's glucose, and glucose equals insulin. So you're mentioning about um, vegetables, and you know, if the five and two have to be um, healthy as a, as opposed to um, unhealthy. So what what's your stance on, say, carnivore or these other variations of low carbohydrate um, diets? Uh, well, I can tell you what I do myself. And I suppose that's guided what I've uh, discussed with patients and friends and colleagues. I'm not keto. I could go keto. In fact, I'm probably not far off keto, actually. Uh, I tend to eat uh, fish and meat and lots of dairy products. I have plenty of vegetables. My wife loves vegetables, so we share them together uh, a lot. So I'd, I'd say vegetables are there with every meal. They will vary with season to a certain extent. We're just coming to the end of the asparagus season round here, and that's been lovely. But I'll eat probably over half of my meal is vegetable, I'd say. The rest is dairy, fish and poultry and meat. And any intermittent fasting, extended fasting? Uh, Yes, I I found that good for me. Again, this all ties into it. Fasting is not about calories. Some people would say, oh, well, if you don't eat for 24 hours, of course you're going to lose weight because you haven't had any calories in. And no calories in means you're going to lose weight. But for me, again, it gets back to insulin. There's a famous pediatrician in the United States called Robert Lustig, and he was asked by a media doc, so what's all the diabetes about? And he said, it's all about the insulin, stupid. And it is all about the insulin. And fasting is about insulin, too, because when you're not eating, there's no insulin. And Mm -hmm. um uh, we mentioned uh, Dr. Robert Atkins earlier. He got his, it wasn't his idea to do the Atkins diet. 
the underlying principle wasn't his. He got it from someone called Edgar Gordon in a paper in 1963, which looked at energy balances and hormonal factors. And uh, I'm summarizing here a couple of the statements from that paper, which was, you cannot release fat in the presence of insulin. In other words, if you're having carbohydrates, you make insulin, that will block fat release. You cannot do it. Now, releasing fat is a fancy way of saying losing weight. So that if you're eating carbohydrates, you're making insulin, you cannot lose weight at that moment. And you can only store fat in the presence of insulin. That's another fancy way of saying that if you want to get fat, if you want to put weight on, make sure there's insulin around. And again, we get back to carbohydrates. So if there's carbohydrates around, you are very likely to store fat and gain weight. And if there are yeah. carbohydrates around and there's insulin around, you cannot release that fat. You cannot lose the weight. And it's like with the animals, they feed them grains at the end to fatten them up. Yeah, I read a... So we, a we do it ourselves. Yeah, I read a, uh, a, a, a recent couple of books by a chap called Wolfgang Lutz. Not a well-known name, mainly because he was an Austrian and he wrote in German most of his life. But he was he was out there doing low carb in the 50s and 60s. And he did he did one experiment really looking at the effect of carbs on arteries. And to do that, he studied chickens, Rhode Island Reds, in fact. And the nice thing about chickens is they get atherosclerosis, you know, the furring up of the arteries the way we do. And of course, they don't live long. So you can actually you can you can experiment with things. And he had two uh, flocks. One he gave the standard meal, you know, which is corn based, wheat based. And the other he gave a meal that was that mimicked what they probably had in the wild when they were jungle fowl. And it was based on uh, shrimp paste and a few other things. So it was a high fat, high protein diet, the sort of stuff that they'd scratch and peck around for. What he found was the chickens who were on the shrimp paste diet, they looked better, they were in better condition, but they didn't get any atherosclerosis or far less than the ones who were fed the wheat paste diet. But here's the interesting thing. They didn't lay eggs. They maybe would have two clutches of eggs a year, whereas the ones who are on the high uh, wheat diet would be producing an egg every day. They might lay 220 eggs a year. So what we've done to chickens is give them an abnormal diet, rather like my patient in the fertility clinic, well, the opposite, actually. Mm. Uh, they were ovulating uh, and making eggs nearly every day. Mm. Uh, and so our, our chickens, uh, the reason we get eggs out of them, because we disturb their hormonal metabolism. Mm. Don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And it, it serves us to have chickens that are not... Yeah hormonally balanced because otherwise we wouldn't have enough yes. eggs to eat and of course the other thing is you know in traditionally in france where they gave geese large amounts of wheat they get fatty livers and that's foie gras isn't it mm -hmm. so we know that if you give these birds an abnormal diet high in carbohydrates high in starch it damages their liver it stops them it causes them to ovulate incessantly and it furs up their arteries so we know that's mm. what happens with them yeah mm. Great. Are you still in general practice? Uh, well, I describe myself as a retiring GP because I'm still a GP, but I'm on the point of retirement. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, I've I've just stopped clinical work. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, I can't bear to say I'm retired, basically, but yeah, I suppose I am really. GPs and academics, they we we will never retire. I think that was okay. we're just too we're too 
we're born well, to serve. Yeah, it's been a it's it's been it has been a vocation. It's been a life mm. time of learning, and you can't just stop mm. doing that. Right. Especially when you've got a fascination mm. for uh, this whole low carping and the health benefits, and how come mm. people just don't get it? You know, it could save so much suffering in the world. So, when you actually, if someone comes to you for some advice or some resources, what what are your go to like your go to podcasts or books or apart from your own? So yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so apart, apart from your own, I mean, you mentioned about yeah. your pamphlets and. Yeah, stuff. yeah Do you I have did them, and I've, I still print them off. I, I had ones about uh, what I used to call in-foods and out-foods uh, so that they'd know, they'd then have, the, if you like, the information to then choose and work out their own menus for things. Uh, there's, there's so much out there uh, with the sort of low-carb royalties, I call them. I, mean, I think one of the intro books that I read, which is a big heavy read with Gary Torbs's mm. book, whose name I've suddenly forgotten. but uh, Good calories, bad calories. Yeah. Uh, Nina Teicholz's stuff about fat was fascinating. Mm. Uh, Zoe Harkham's done some great stuff. Um, David Unwin is a huge force mm. at the moment, and he's tackling the profession as well as, you know, uh, making it publicly accessible. So I, I push them in their directions. But dietdoctor.com is a wonderful website, so I get people to go there and have a look because this it's full of practical tips of recipes and that sort of thing. Uh, the Pioppy Diet, I've told people to look at that one. That one has worked nicely for a lot of people. But uh, most of the stuff I do, it's 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 about conversation. Uh, it, we might do it over a meal, that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, and I think you've raised a, a really interesting point, especially for health professionals. And certainly, um, I mean, obviously you've got the British Medical Council, um, HCPC sort of registrations. There's certainly things that um, health professionals can do, and I suppose through David Unwin and uh, the GP, um, so the Royal College, that there is obviously continuing education there that health professionals that are interested in prescribing or advising on diet, whereas before it was, as you said, you came from a zero base. You had no undergraduate mm-hmm. medical training in nutrition. But what about the cautionary tale of being Australian, um, you know, mm. Gary Fetke, um, we also had Jennifer Elliott, who was a, a registered um, dietitian, who was obviously pushed back from registering bodies in in being able to prescribe or to advise on diet and lifestyle issues. Any thoughts on that? Oh, uh, well, I count my blessings that uh, I've been practicing in the UK, where we we if we can if we can back up what we're doing, if we can justify it, and we can ha- provide evidence, which you can do you can carry on doing more or less what you want. Obviously, you, you, somebody might try and sue you if, you, you know, if they perceive you've done something wrong, but, but it's not been that big adversarial stuff that's happened in Australia and particularly also in South Africa uh, and other parts of the world where people are, uh, are in danger of losing their licence to practice and their livelihoods. Um, uh, you just wonder what this huge... There's no discussion there. It's just, it's just exclusion. It's getting rid of that I, I'm suspicious about the motivations that must be underlying this. Mm-hmm. I mean, in Australia, for example, I mean, looking back at it, what would you say was the, the driving force to try and ruin these people's careers and stifle their message? Having spoken to Gary Fetke, um, it was actually really interesting because obviously um, through the registering body, so um, the Australian Health Practitioner Registering Authority. So there was an unnamed claimant 
um, who basically said that um, he was an orthopaedic surgeon. So this was actually a claim made against him about the advice for, for obviously advising on diet. So that was the interesting thing was that there was an unnamed claimant which was obviously investigated um, as that he was outside his scope of practice. So whereas, you know, the fact that he was chopping off or amputating diabetic feet, um, you know, this was the thing mm -hmm. that um, there was obviously the upstream and the downstream effects that he was obviously trying to, to do is to, to focus on mm -hmm. lifestyle issues, which the claimant was saying was outside his scope of practice. So, and this is where I was trying to get to about the standards of care Whereas you're sort of saying in the UK it's slightly different. So if you're within a standard of care, which isn't necessarily prescribed, but it's quite general, so you're still within mm -hmm. your um, within your reach, within your scope of practice. Well, that's how I felt about things. And I think there are now so many practitioners out there who are low-carb uh, people. Public Health Collaboration, which is a group in the UK, has gathered a lot of these people together, not just health professionals, but other people too. Uh, and that's a force for good. And so there's there's a lot of precedent out there. And certainly as a as a medic, I haven't had anybody telling me that I shouldn't be doing this or that I might be brought up before a tribunal or uh, the general medical council or whatever. Uh, that hasn't happened here. I don't know how it might be for UK registered dietitians. They might find that might be difficult. I don't know is the answer to that one. Mm. But I know in other parts of the world, it could be career over for them if they carry on with that message. Right. So looking back on your low carb journey, mm. is there anything that you would do differently? If, if I look back to the first 10 years, as opposed to now, I think I wished I was doing then what I'm doing now. Uh, and that's being much more attentive to all the little sources of carbohydrate that can sneak in. I think I was fairly lax for the first little while. I just didn't, even though I knew there was a problem, I didn't realise just how potent a problem it could be. And secondly, over the last few years, the discovery of intermittent fasting or restricted eating, in other words, programming just how often I was going to eat and, and over how many hours. Again, it's all about insulin because when I'm not eating, I'm not making insulin. And, and prolonging my overnight fast by having a late breakfast and trying to have my evening meal a bit earlier. I wished I'd done that earlier. Mm. But we are where we are. You know, uh, it's become more apparent. So much is coming out now. I, I think the whole intermittent fasting, restrictive eating. I mean, that's another book I'd send people in the direction of. Uh, Mimi uh, Spencer and Michael Mosley's 5-2 diet. That seems to work. That's a form of relative intermittent fasting. Mm. And I, I've... I mean, I, I, I did it and it worked for me. And, and especially when I was on busy days, I could quite easily push back my breakfast till fairly late in the afternoon. But uh, I'm weak-willed and uh, I am weak-willed. I mean, I find the biggest hazard of the last few years has been the whole Christmas holiday thing because I'm so weak-willed and you go, oh, go to my sister's and there'll be a beige buffet and I can't help picking at it. I know it's wrong, but I will be better next year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> i always yeah. give myself permission at christmas to uh, but it, i find it, shouldn't. It, it i find it, it no it, it it might take a couple of months before i'm back on an even keel again yeah it, it it's not just oh i had a glucose surge it seems to undo some of the benefits for me so you still have a carbohydrate sort of type addiction so you still have these sugar cravings 
Well, it's not a carb addiction. I wouldn't call it that. I, 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 I'm just weak-willed. I mean, if, if there was a whole load of salami, ham, boiled eggs, I'd probably pick it then too. It just so happens that when you go to these functions, most of the stuff on offer is carb-based. It's pastries and breads and cakes and quiches and Pie. that sort of stuff. Pies goes mm. on, doesn't it? Uh, but uh, and, uh, on my normal day-to-day dietary eating, uh, very little carbohydrate at all. Mm-hmm. Maybe some in uh, pulses and beans, or if I eat some peanuts, I know I'm getting some carbohydrate out of them, but not much. Mm. So I'm pretty low carb. I don't test myself for ketones. I did for a while, and I did enter ketosis quite a lot of the time, but I just got a bit bored with that. I, I just like to mend my diet and then just let it run. Mm-hmm. I, I probably will try and get myself one of these continuous glucose monitors. They look fantastic. That, that would be so interesting. Yeah, the they slight drawback with them is that they're not cheap to run, mm-hmm. but I probably only need to do it for a couple of weeks maybe mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. to sort of see, you know, when am I vulnerable? What's going on mm-hmm. there? Just to find out. I can imagine that when they do become cheaper, as I'm sure they will do, and if they start getting incorporated into things like Apple Watches and the mm-hmm. like, that that the scales will fall from many people's eyes about what their their eating habits are doing to their blood sugars, and maybe that's going to be another nail in the coffin of the the uh, low cal low fat era. Mm. I hope so. So, if someone was starting, you know, what advice would you give them? What would be your top three tips? Well, uh, don't rush in. The first thing is, if you think this is right, I want to do this, don't do it immediately. Work things out. How are you going to do that? Who else is at home? Uh, if you've got other people at home on side or not, what sort of menus might you be looking at? Do you need to clear your cupboard? So if you just say, I'm going low carb, I'll do it now. You're not actually setting yourself up ideally, I think. The second thing I'd say is, you might want to do it in stages. Uh, I, I, I've come up with something I call the, a, a ladder of low carb. And there are, the, the easiest thing is to take out sugar that you can see in front of you, um, what the dietitians would call extrinsic sugars. So where you confectionery, for example. Then if that doesn't kind of work, you can then go to intrinsic sugars. That's things like the fruit, bananas, you know, those sorts of uh, yogurts that have fruits stirred into them and say that they're um, no added sugar. Hey, they've got lots of added sugar. It's got fruit in it. Uh, after that, you can then start thinking about cutting out starchy foods, the potatoes, uh, bread, pasta, pizza, that sort of thing. And if, if that still doesn't correct your chemical problem, you might then have to start carb counting and going keto. So it's a, it's a ladder of things. Uh, and I guess most people get down to number three. They, they've really got to cut out the, the rice and the potatoes and the uh, bread and pasta and that sort of thing, because those are the things that drive, it, that drive it at the moment. But take it slowly and do it thoughtfully and, um, you know, work out not just wouldn't it be great if I went on this diet, but um, what are the difficulties? What are the downsides of it? You know, you might say, I'm going to miss chips or it's going to be awkward because my husband will demand to have mashed potatoes with his meat. And am I going to be tempted to eat it as well? You, you, you think about it holistically. It's about a lifestyle, not just about cutting out an ingredient for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And it's also done best if you've got somebody guiding you or helping you 
or at least a partner on the journey, somebody you can chat through things with. Yeah, certainly. Community, as you said, you know, the supports in community is really good. And as you mentioned about the public health collaboration, they've got their ambassadors program that are obviously out in the community as well as obviously lots of Facebook groups, um, you know, on Twitter, as you said about the yeah. about the low-carb rock stars out there that are obviously accessible yeah. and, um, and podcasts. Yeah, it, it just, yes, just yesterday uh, we had a group public health collaboration ambassadors meeting. Uh, Lou Walker, I think, was one of your other uh, interviewees, has set up uh, something with one of the local GPs in her area where – we're going to be delivering a course rather like my old Isaiah course. In fact, spookily like my old Isaiah course. I mean, it's, this is wheel reinventing, isn't it? You know, because once it's once you realise it, it's the obvious what you've got to do. So she set up a really good idea uh, across four practices in a network of GP practices. And we're going to be delivering, there's a bunch of us, there's about a dozen of us who have volunteered to help out deliver this programme. And it's going to go on Zoom because at the moment we're on the, uh, coronavirus lockdown thing you can't do the face-to-face stuff but but that's another way of, of doing group stuff and I would imagine because we're talking about starting this up with the group in another two weeks that a lot of the benefit and this happened in the Isaiah was the interaction between the delegates the participants who said where they had a problem and somebody else mm. said well I had that but I did this mm. and that whole group thing really magnifies the Certainly. power of the intervention yeah. Sounds like a great community of practice that you're building. So. Yeah, yes. And uh, uh, thanks to Lou for her energy to to, to get going and, and sort out all the technicalities and mm. get us all singing from the new hymn sheet. Yeah, great. So you're um, in the process of finishing your book. Would you like yes. to tell everybody about it and what it's called? And Well, I, I, I wrote – I probably mentioned earlier that I wrote about the, the road to, to where we're at, you know, looking from prehistory onwards and realised that was the sequel and the prequel was going to be called Shop, Cook, Dine, uh, because I thought those are the essential principles to, to healthy, getting a healthy uh, eating habit. It, um, you see, I'm in my kitchen because we cook a lot. We love cooking and we don't refuel at mealtimes. We dine. We sit down. It's a social activity. Again, this is back to Michael Poland again, isn't it? But then I realised, well, there's more to it than that. I've got to put in a bit how we got here. So there's some introductory stuff. And then I thought, well, what about fasting? What about exercise? What about failing? Because, you know, we're all going to fall off the wagon at times, like me at Christmas or a buffet. And one of the people on the Isaiah programme, our research nurse, Maria Platz, she had this lovely phrase was, don't let your lapses become relapses. In other words, you know, pick Mm -hmm. yourself up, dust yourself down get back on to where you should be and don't beat yourself up mm. so um so the book's got that then i've got a load of appendices at the back you know interesting information um drugs and what they do how can you fast you know being informed by for example what people do during ramadan which oils are omega-6 heavy that should be avoided there's all sorts of stuff in there so it's called um beating diabetes the low carb way uh, which has morphed away from shop cook dine. Uh, it's all done. Uh, there's I've got a lovely picture on the front. A friend of mine, she comes to visit fairly frequently. She's my wife's best friend, and she is um, someone who's addicted. She is addicted to sugar. She has several cups of tea a day, 
and she puts about four teaspoons of sugar in each cup. Uh, she knows it's wrong. She knows it's going to turn to fat. And so the last time she came, I thought, uh, how can I give her a, a subtle message that all this sugar isn't good for you? So I bought this. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, an elephant. It's an elephant, but it's a sugar bowl. Ah. And so this, this is the elephant in the room. <laughs> uh, because 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 it's sugar and so i i took my um i took my little elephant sugar bowl and uh, uh i got a friend of mine who's a photographer and we've done a lovely picture so if you go on my website and look about the book you'll see a lovely picture of this elephant on the book cover surrounded by pills and sugar and tablets and syringes and things uh, the book it, it's done it's just got to be um uh, just tweaked before it's published it's going to start out going on Amazon, right? But, but right. It's, it's not there yet, but it's almost there. Hopefully, by the time you read, you see this, it'll be done. Oh, right, it'll be great. Yeah, yes. no worries. Uh, Dr. Chris, what's the good way that people can get in contact with you? Uh, probably the best way is through Twitter. I've got a Twitter account, it's at csbarclay2410. Questions or comments could be left there quite easily. I have a website csbarclay.com but at the moment uh, there's no not a facility to leave questions there there may be in the future but twitter is probably the best way to do it that's great, great. thank great. you so dr chris thank you so much for joining us it has been a really fascinating conversation and you know i think it supports a lot about what louise and i believe in and so thank you for joining us thank you very much it's been a great pleasure i've enjoyed it immensely thank you I love listening to doctors who believe in low carb. I think um, it gives us the reassurance that we're doing the right thing. I mean, I know you have medical training, but, you know, I don't. And I think that reassures me. It constantly reassures me that we're on the right path. And, you know, I really feel for these doctors that are um, pushing the boundaries and fighting against change. Mm. And I think that the best thing is, even though, like, you know, for Chris, you know, saying, well, after hearing a patient, you know, who adopted this particular approach and then being curious, you know, doctors being curious and taking the time. And we know that many GPs in practice are overworked, that he actually took the time to find out what this particular approach was. He used it for himself. But then I suppose it's that part of that professionalism, you know, by adopting it and then, you know, actually using it in his practice, you know, reflecting on it. And that reflective practice really is a great sign of a professional GP who is able to implement it, reflect, review, evaluate, and then guide patients to, you know, what is best for their health. Yeah. In reversing or, you know, putting into remission diabetes. And not just and not yeah, just continuing saying the same thing that they've been taught, especially when they've had, as he said, no nutritional training. And yet people, patients, look to doctors for nutritional advice. Mm, absolutely. Lifestyle advice. And that's that's a real sort of gap obviously in the medical curriculum is looking at you know those functional or lifestyle medicine approaches which is basically de-prescribing yeah. and you know going back to you know food is like medicine and let medicine you know the medicine is the is the food so yeah. that's that's really the great approach i wish we and had it's really pleasing i wish we had low-carb doctors in our surgery but 
I've managed mm. to when I've, I don't need to go very often, but I like to get my bloods nowadays. I like to get my bloods checked regularly. Um, I'm lucky that I haven't had too many fights with them. So, yes, it would be good to have um, somebody who actually really believes in it and can really point you in the right direction. Mm. But I suppose it's really about advocating your approach and, you know, you can sort of say to your GP, Yes, I, I hear what you're saying. However, you know, thank you for your advice and leave it at that. You don't necessarily have to be argumentative and shout them down. Alternatively, some doctors are perhaps more open, like Dr. Chris was, you know, open to, well, show me the science, show me the evidence and being prepared to have some reading material for them. But knowing that they are obviously busy, not that I'm making excuses, but, you know, you can leave it for them when they have the time and be more respective to that. But you're right, you know, they're being counselled over and over again that fat is bad, you know, here is the the cholesterol jugs to, to bring down those nasty numbers and, yeah, mm-hmm. it really is a establishment and institutionalised in the way that they have this set mindset about things. Yeah. And, you know, I think Dr Chris has shown that that people can change, doctors can change, and that we hopefully, you know, it's taken him 20 years of doing it to effect some change. Uh, but hopefully we'll see younger doctors coming in that will take it up, take up the mantle and follow through. And hopefully the medical curriculum is open to perhaps that criti- that critique, or not critical thinking, but, you know, showing the science, understanding about evidence, and having the skills to evaluate new approaches rather than just repeating the same old, same old dogma. And the show notes can be found at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash 007. And on the show notes is or will be the links to what Dr. Chris was mentioning about some of the books, the resources, and particularly that French book. You know, that sounds really interesting. So that will be posted on the link on the show notes. Great. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Follow us on social media. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto One. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know that you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto One and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, 
healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories, and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication. Mm-hmm.